vessels, handmade miniature wooden sailing vessels, on the web at flamingfish.net, little ships for big kids. Support for Boat Talk also comes from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. The time is 9.59 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Ellen Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning, good morning. It's um, Tuesday morning, the second Tuesday of the month. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio WERU-FM Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. Boat Talk comes on from 10 till 11 o'clock. It's a call-in radio show for people contemplating things naval with your Rusty Anchors, Mike Joyce, and Alan Sprague. Today we're joined by Dennis Damon of Penobscot East Resources. And uh, this is the time of the year when in uh, the fishing world around here, things really start to smelt. We'll be getting around to uh, all kinds of fishing uh, stories. And, of course, any questions or comments you might have, too. It is a call-in show. As I said, the, the number to call is one 866 Six two five nine three seven eight. Alan and I are uh, boat builders and sailors. Uh, we all part of the strength of community radio is you you come in and share your enthusiasm and your knowledge. And I was laying in bed last night worrying, what if I had to think up the pun? You know, that was a good one. They come to you. Well, they put me to sleep. Actually. Yeah, again, uh, <laughs> Alan doing doing uh, uh, his enthusiasm what he knows best. So. So anyway, boat talk this morning, plenty to get to. Why don't we just uh, talk fast? Yeah, talk fast, launch right into it. We're we're uh, oversupplied with uh, people to talk to this morning, literally. Mm. Um, I have one little quick comment here. This month's uh, Fisherman's Voice, the March issue of Fisherman's Voice, has an interesting um, uh, called a visual section called Building a Lobster Boat. They go down to Peter Cass's uh, Peter Cass's boat shop, John's Bay Boat Shop, and they're following the construction of a a 42-foot wooden lobster boat that they're building there now, and there are lots and lots of photographs in this issue of Fisherman's Voice showing the the process of of, uh, uh, laying the keel and making the transom and and making the pockets for the ribs and planking up, and it's it's an interesting, interesting issue. Nice. Peter, Peter Cass, if you haven't heard of him, uh, John's Bay Boat Company is, uh, I believe it's uh, Bristol, South Bristol, Maine, specializes in wooden lobster boats, and he builds really good ones, too. And guess what? Can't build them fast enough to sell them. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty cool thing right there. So is. Peter is, is uh, very good at it, very much in demand, and, again, um, you know, uh, speaks to... Uh, Speaks to something or other. He can't build them fast enough. To, <laughs> no. uh, fast, he can't he build them as fast as he can sell them. Let's right. put, you know, how's that for a good trick? Yeah. Well, well you know, you know, um, if I might just chime in on yep. this a bit, 
with regards to wooden lobster boats and wooden boat construction. There was another fellow who was building them before, perhaps uh, Cass, and, and the documentary has just come out on his his boat building. It's called An Eye for Wood, and it's about Ralph Stanley Ralph. over okay. in uh, yeah. Southwest Harbor, and it's done by Dobbs Productions. It's been premiered already, debuted, if you would, but I'm sure that it will be coming out uh, more, and it will be shown more uh, in the near future. So if you get a chance, you ought to see it. It's really okay. Just... Get over the narrator if you can. Uh -huh. I guess uh, we yeah. can guess who that is. Uh, it could but have been our friend Dennis Damon sitting here, I'm guessing. Uh, Ralph Stanley, of course, classic Southwest Harbor boat builder. Um, also a, uh, a bit of a historian and a fiddle player. And Ralph fiddle. was a... Exactly. He, Ralph was a bit of a fella, and uh, he still is. Yeah, his yeah. son <laughs> son Richard uh, carries on the business today, too, uh, Richard. Um I watched Richard one time ago uh, when I was working at the Hinkley Company. They had a lobster boat over. Uh, it wasn't. A, I think it was a sardine carrier that hauled into the yard, and he had to take stem out of that. And I watched him cut that. Out, and I went, "How would I? Oh, wow. And wasn't he good at that? Yeah, yeah. yeah Richard's uh, like I say, um, this, above this, average. This past weekend, I was down at the Fisherman's Forum in Rockport, and and Richard was there uh, at one of the booths, yeah. um, you know, advertising his boat shop. It, nothing goes through the water like a wooden boat. And nothing stops the water water from coming in like fiberglass on the top i think that's what he uses as his mantra so there you huh. go <clears throat> yeah and yeah. one further aside a wooden boat um part of the genius of a wooden boat to me is they absorb vibration you know um i fixed up a, a wooden boat for a fellow who had passed it on for a more low maintenance uh, one and, and we uh, fixed it up for a summer fella and we fixed it up so nice he wanted it back because his knees ached in the other one mm. you know mm. Just wasn't the same. Noisers. Uh, I tease him as like working in a snare drum, wasn't it? And he, yep. <laughs> so anyway, uh, good analogy. If you ever wonder about the uh, uh, beauty of wooden boats, that's a uh, part of it right there. We're doing boat talk this morning. Mike Joyce, Alan Sprague, uh, Dennis Damon in the studio, and and we want to talk to a couple people this morning. We had uh, Chief Winnie Arsky. Uh, from the Coast Guard Cutter Bridle down in Southwest Harbor in here. He uh, was in here, I think, December. Yeah, a couple months back. Mm. And turns out Chief is uh, uh, the icebreaker uh, driver in the local area, and we got plenty of ice, so it seemed to be a no-brainer yeah. to uh, talk to Chief this morning. Yeah. And also, uh, we're going to get uh, Finn Sprague on the phone, we hope, about the main Boat Builder yeah. show. What a job, uh, Chief Winiarski. You know, he gets paid for smashing in this stuff, you know. <laughs> it's like uh, being a... a professional uh, figure eight racer or whatever it is <laughs> <laughs> driving over here the uh on the news this morning uh coast guard chief uh, in charge of the cutter in jonesport relieved a command for running the thing aground speaking of smashing into stuff you know it's a serious business it's a very serious business yeah uh, and you know i say that with no um again it has no bearing on our our thing this morning but it's a very serious business um uh, and again, uh, but you know, speaking about ice breaking, um, it's it's a service that's obviously this year one that's very necessary for the fishing fleets, etc. Uh, it's one that the uh, Seacoast Mission boat, the Sunbeam, has engaged in the various Sunbeams uh, in my lifetime, and I just saw an article the other day where. Uh, Captain Mike Johnson had taken the sunbeam up Somme Sound and broken out a path of ice so that one of the fellows who lives on Islesford and has his, had his boat hauled out up there at the boatyard at the head of the sound could get it back down to Islesford so he could get it ready for the spring fishing. So that was a service, too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, they're talking uh, about bringing a, uh, the Thunder Bay, a big Coast Guard uh, icebreaker up, uh, currently working on New York and the Hudson River. Mm. Talking about getting that down here and running her up to Bangor because the ice is so thick. But, on of course, maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe we will get a chance to talk to the chief about that. So... <laughs> So, um, speaking of videos, an eye for wood was one that you just mm. mentioned. Mm. Um, you probably know John Johansson, main built boats, uh, primary moving force. Um, he also is the one who puts out the main coastal news. Um, he did a, a, a video of the uh, construction of a fiberglass boat uh, going underway in Lemoyne at SW Boats mm. for the tuna.com. I guess that's a, a reality TV show. And uh, the guy, one of the main characters in that is having a brand new boat built on that. So John did a video talking with the, uh, the captain and uh, TV character of tuna.com about why he is having his boat built in Maine. Interesting video. That, that fellow whose name I can't remember, the star of the show, and I, it might be called Wild Tuna or something. I don't. I yeah, haven't yeah. quite seen it. But Dave Carraro. That's the guy. Yep. So he was at the Fisherman's Forum for a day as well, oh. signing these uh, pictures that you'd have of yourself, you know, that whole thing that you, if you're a star. Yeah. So he was there. <laughs> but but it, it was an interesting thing that the boat is being built uh, right here in Maine. In, in Lemoyne. For good reason, and it's a exactly. very interesting video. Uh, SW Boat Works in uh, Lemoyne, Maine, uh, Stuart Workman, he he finishes off Calvin Beale mm. hulls, mm -hmm. and uh, they're yep. known to be uh, quite sea kindly and handy. Um, I just had a genius idea. Reality TV is all the thing. Here we are stuck in the community radio corner, you know, but uh, why not a, a reality show based on down east boat building? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, this old boat—that's a no-brainer, Alan. You know, Alan this and I are. Boat. Yeah, are probably not the host for it. Okay, <laughs> but that to me is a no-brainer. But uh, we could go into oh man, characters. Uh, you get the uh, the whole thing of building something plus uh, complications sure, sure. and solve. Oh, it's got a lot of. A lot and, of room. And you might even throw in a segment about the lobster boat races, too, and who built the boat. We got all kinds of room, mm -hmm. I'm telling you. Um, you know, uh, having been born in this area and grown up here, I just was familiar with boatyards wherever, and I didn't think anything of it. Until, and it wasn't until I, I was elected to the legislature and I was having some economic development meetings, and I met with uh, a group of boat builders, and I actually learned how many boat builders there are in this region. And, and both sides of this region going down east and down to the western, uh, it is an uh, industry that is uh, kind of under the radar for most, certainly not if you're a boatman, but it's a very important industry to our local economy. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I wanted to uh, ask uh, Finn Sprague from uh, down the Boat Builder Show this morning is uh, – you know, about the state of the boat building economy, the um, upper 1%, if you will, the stock market just reached an all-time plateau uh, there doing okay. And uh, the auto-owning class is, is uh, you know, uh, buying y yachts and uh, taking care of them nowadays. Boat business is, is okay, I would say. So um, interesting, though. But it is, as you say, a, um, you know. A lot of people. Well, you have that segment. Motion. You, you have that very luxurious segment of boat building. But then also, uh, in spite of the fact that we maybe have caught uh, 
three or four million less pounds of lobsters this year, uh, this past year than we did the year before that, the prices remained good. And so I think that uh, many of the lobster fishermen have done reasonably well and are investing some of their uh, earnings in new boats. And I think that's also showing uh, yeah. in the boat building industry. I know a couple people building new lobster boats yep. this season. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And again, you wouldn't be moving that money around unless uh, you'd made it and the future looked Yep. Possible. Yep. Yeah. Well, I know an exception to that. I think um, Chummy Rich, who we both know, mm-hmm. um, is building a, a lobster boat right now too, just for the fun of it. Uh. You know, he sold his business, so he's got some time to himself, but he still has full access to his shop. So what's he doing? You know, he's sitting back and watching TV. Nope, he's making another lobster boat, and uh, I've got some pictures of that. I'll have to put it all together and mm-hmm. put it on the website, but it's. An interesting story, too. But, you know, I'm sure when the time comes, he probably will sell it for a fair amount of money. So you can look at it as an investment, I suppose. But uh, he's not pressured to get it done or anything. He's just uh, working away at it. You know, it's also testimony for what you love to do. Yeah. Uh, There's a difference between what you love to do and what you have to do. And sometimes those two differences meld together. And so even though he doesn't have to do it right now, he loves to do it. And he's building another boat. That's just what I was thinking, combined with can't really sit still. Uh, yeah, you know, and yeah. there you go. Uh, good for Chummy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, boat talk this morning. We do it second Tuesday every month. And, uh, you know, uh, thinking all of a sudden about reality TV. But we'll mull on that for a while. Um, where are we at, Alan? The- well, we're good. Um, the main boat builders show coming up here. I think it's going to be next weekend. We'll have to find out. Exactly, when we talk to Finn. But that's a very interesting show because it is, um, as we are talking about, a main boat builder's show. I believe there are some few people come up from uh, New Hampshire and maybe northern Massachusetts, but it's uh, pretty much, I think, a, a main boat building show. And there is all kinds of boats to see there. It's a very interesting show. And uh, one of the things that we like I particularly like about the main boat builder show is the uh, what what Phineas calls the wall of shame, but we'll get around to that. I believe Phineas is on the line right now. Good morning, Finn. Good morning, Finn. Are you there? Heads shaking. No. People pushing I... buttons. Phineas is. Hey, okay, there you are. Good morning, Finn. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. Sitting here looking over Saco Bay and the snowdrift in front of my window went down a foot yesterday. Oh, isn't it great? Yes, I've actually started to tap my maple trees now, too. So it, it, we, we've turned the corner, I think. Yeah, we broke the back of this winter. Wow. Yeah. So I was just talking about the main boat builders show and uh, what a great show it is with all the. And you can correct me in this. Is it only main builder, boat builders or are there a few from. Uh, no, actually, actually, we've always felt that what we wanted to do is test the widest circle possible, and and th- that people would come all the way across the United States to join with the main boat builders is a testament to the quality of the work and the respect they have for our main boat builders. So, so we have pe- people all like Devlin all the way from the uh, state of Washington coming to the boat show. That's been I think I'm kind of jumping in ahead of things. Is uh, Why don't we uh, start with we'll giving a little history of the boat show? Well, I think it was about 29 years ago. We were 
bumping around in an empty building and going to boat shows where we had absolutely nothing in common with the people that were coming through. And we looked at each other, and I, uh, Jane Wellahan from Tobago fame was working for us at the time. We said, why don't we run a boat show and invite our people? And it started with about 12 exhibitors, just friends that said, okay, we'll give it a shot. And uh, basically the first five years, we had no idea why everybody was coming. We were scared to touch anything. And then uh, there was an article in Wooden Boat that said it was real boats for real people. And we suddenly realized uh, what we had. And uh, our friends uh, have been coming strong ever since. It worked right away. It, it had an honesty. It must have touched people. Well, it's, you know, it's um, in this... There's no point in neckties and and booth babes, you know. We're you know unless they're wives to the builders, and we, you know we we these are our friends over the years. This has been 29 years now, and uh, I'm, I look back at it with great fondness. So it's um it's uh I guess this year if you wanted to. Pick a theme is where we've been. <laughs> Very been. How many exhibitors do you have this year? Oh, they're pretty close to 180 right now, and they're still coming in one by one as they dig themselves out of the snowbanks. <laughs> um, we've got uh, David Carrero from Wicked Tuna coming. Huh. Uh, John Johansson landed him. We were just speaking of him and uh, being, getting a boat built by Stuart Workman down in Lemoyne right now. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's a nice chance in hell of that boat making it to the show. Oh, well. Yeah. Uh, they're still working on her, I assume. Yeah, I don't think they'll make it, but he'll be there, and, and uh, it's going to be really interesting to, to meet him and, and talk to him because I have to admit, I get sucked into that show on National Geographic Channel on a regular basis. I don't know why it is, but there's something pretty amazing about those fish. Finn, you might have missed the conversation we were having earlier, but it seems a no-brainer, a reality TV based on main boat building. Well, I, uh, I you know, I... I, I think that that would be a really interesting show. It would be. Uh, characters, uh, you know, a lot of stuff to work with, uh, problems to solve, I'm telling you. I, I don't want to name any names. Well, I'm not, we're, we're not trying to own it at the present time. We're trying to throw it out there and get people excited. So see what you can make of that, Finn, would you? Yeah. I, I think, uh, think it would be pretty fascinating if they hopped around the state and took a look at the at the good work that... that has been done all over the state and it's pretty exciting well you're pretty much in star status already finn you're working on a, a very nice historic boat right now i believe you're doing some uh, uh looks like rot in the bow of a well the, the um the harvey gamage harvey gamage yeah fell into our hands and uh in order to keep her certificate of inspection she needed quite a bit of work up forward and so the uh, so she's down at you know right now PYS is sort of divided between 
three locations that the uh, old location at the Portland Company, where the boat show is going to be this year. Uh, the 400 Commercial Street, which used to be Gowan, and that's where the damage is. And then our new yard, which is just west of the uh, Casco Bay Bridge. So we're, we're sort of spread out all over the place. Finn, I uh, wanted, wanted to ask you, too, uh, the state of the boat business nowadays, uh, you know, fairly decent, isn't it, the, the uh, well, stock I'm, markets? I'm thinking that uh, a lot of the people that we'd really like to come are saying, geez, why would I spend that money? I got the shop that's full of boats to build. Yep, hard times in yep. certain ways, right. And so they're um, uh, going to be missed dearly, but you have to realize that they got to make that schedule, and this winter has been a hard winter. Can I tell you, from uh, my end of the business, one of the least favorite things I was ever involved in on a regular basis was the pressure of trying to get something ready for the boat show. <laughs> I you can sympathize. Try, try. You got to try moving 100 boats to get ready for the no boat. No doubt, show. boy. Yeah, it, with no this snow, yeah. 2,500 yards alone. Yeah. Ooh. Then we decided things didn't have to be finished, but the paint shouldn't be wet. You know. <laughs> well, you know, I, actually, I think that the people, the people that are at the boat show, actually prefer the boats that are in the process of being built. Um. You know, they want to talk to the person that's building the boat. They want to ask him, why in the world did you do that? And and um, that's always been the theme of the boat show, is that, that we, didn't, we didn't want anybody at the boat show who didn't know more about what they were doing than we did. We, yeah. needed to, we wanted to learn, be able to learn something from every single person in the booth, in whatever booth it was. So that uh, even owning a boatyard like I do, I can walk around, and it's worth my time. And that says an awful lot for the quality of the people that, that actually exhibit at the boat show and actually walk through it. It's a pretty special thing you have going there, um, Phineas. Um, I think probably we should mention now that the... Uh, People who used to park there in the handicap parking as, as a, a free service that you used to offer now is a the people handicap parking is going to be charged. Is that true? Well, I, you should know, let them know I, that. I, I'm not really positive of that. Um, we we had a little confusion with the uh, the new owners of the property, and we hope to work that out with them. Um, this week and and it doesn't seem like uh that's the main thing to do but uh so i would you know i mean there are a lot fewer handicapped people at the boat show than there are at the flower show and, and uh um i think it's just be prepared and and uh go with the flow we'll try to get it straightened out how do people uh, find information on this uh, web and, and well, they, contact? It, the uh, information is on our uh, portlandcompany.com. And if you want to take a look, we've got a pretty good list of all the people that are coming and what they're bringing. Um, the, uh, if you get on the, on the w website, 
and you can you can actually look back and see who's come in the past. You remember somebody whose boat you really liked. Um, I got a whole list of boats here, and I, I get kind of in serious trouble if I pick someone's boat up out of the rest of them. Um, what one of the things that uh, you know, talking about being retrospective about the years. Um, one of our customers bought uh, Will Frost's Meganzer. Uh, I think I hope you guys are familiar with the boat. Uh, Will um, Frost, classic old main boat builder. In 1948, um, uh, probably the quintessential lobster hull. One of the, he was the Wizard of Beals Island, hmm. and uh, I've asked him if I could put the boat in the show. And and uh, I think that when you consider where we've been, this is about a 1947-48 boat that was it was rebuilt from a saner into a to a, a lobster boat by Carol Lowell. But it really reflects when you look around the room and see all the other boats there, even the one that that Dave Carrero's uh, going to be running out to do the tuna fish. This is the granddaddy of them all. And it's, you know, it's probably a wonderful thing, at least a wonderful thing for me to think about how far uh, the evolution of these boats has gone in, in, the, in those well, 67 years. Um, uh, you know, that went from the friendship loop basically up through this boat. You know, we've got Dick Pulsifer's Hampton, which is a good uh, takeoff of this type of boat. So it's, um, as you look around the the show, uh, it's interesting to come back and and, uh, see what the high horsepower motors have done, the new materials have done, and allowed people to uh, create seaworthy, fast, relatively light boats that uh, really do the job and are world famous. Talking to Phineas Sprague this morning, uh, uh, looking out at Saco Bay, uh, runs Portland Company, boatyard down in Portland there, and, and also a founder and, and running the uh, classic Maine Boat Builders show, Real Boats, Real People, so to speak. Uh, tell us again when the show is coming up, Finn. Well, the, the, uh, the boat's going to, the, the show is the 20th, 21st and 22nd. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And on Friday it goes, and Saturday it goes from 10 to 6. And then on Sunday it goes from 10 to 4. And it's 15 bucks at the door. And we're looking forward to once again and once a year a gathering of really good friends in the industry. And the, the people in the aisle are, are, and the people at the booths really make the show. You have seminars also, I believe, too. We do. Yeah. Um, we've got some pretty pretty interesting seminars. Yes. Uh, um, probably too many to mention them all, but um, you go to the website, there's a full listing of uh, and description. Well, we, haven't, we haven't got it up yet. I'm a little behind. Ah. Um, but uh, we've got, uh, you know, everybody should know Giffy Full. <laughs> Giffy Full's going to be here. Oh, he is. Yes. Huh. And he's gonna, he's gonna 
talk about 45 years of wooden boat surveys. What a great guy. Um, I think you guys probably aware of the lobster boat that got in the bad weather um, this winter off the Tinnicus. Um, Tell us. I, I've asked uh, Eric Sorensen, who's, uh, who wrote Sorensen's book on power boats, and is an authority on his Coast Guard and heavy weather and, and power boats, just to talk about heavy weather tactics on on uh, power boats. You know, when you can't just push it into full speed and, and get out of the way, you got to have a you got to have a tactic mm-hmm. that you're using. Um, then another thing is the biodiesel. Um, Maine biodiesel came to the to our our flower show, and I was really impressed. Um, not only with with the, what they're producing, but also they have another product, and that product is a is a uh, a really powerful cleaner that comes from the biodiesel that's left over, and we've used that around the shop, and it's been pretty amazing. It's something brand new that they've got out. It's a strong alkali soap that's made with the with that uh, the fatty acids. They had uh, so they're going to be talking about the the, the diesel uh, biodiesels, and they didn't say they were going to talk about that, but I think they ought to. And uh, David Carrero is going to be talking twice. Uh, Captain uh, Jorgensen off the Bowden is going to give a talk on the Bowden and and what's coming up for her restoration again. So, I mean, we've got a lot. And then we shouldn't forget about the Marine Troubleshooting Competition. We've got nine teams from 15 different high schools. Uh, They're going to compete um, uh, Saturday. Troubleshooting, Uh, you said. Yeah. um, uh, Basically, what we've been doing is trying to um, promote young people coming into the industry. And we've been um, working with the uh, Marine Mechanics Institute and the Universal Technical Institute in a competition for young kids that are going through the, the, uh, uh, the various programs, high school programs. And uh, Portland Yacht Services gets a huge number of its young people uh, from extensions of these programs. So it's a great way to, to uh, get the young people excited in the field. And uh, they're as smart as whips. And it's fun to watch. Sounds like a fun to watch thing. Um, we're, we need to go to another phone call in just a minute here, Finn. So we're going to wrap this up. But uh, one thing I'd like to quick comment on is uh, your wall of shame. I think that's a very interesting thing for people who uh are inclined to uh, boat building or boat maintenance. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Uh, well, I guess you call it a display of uh, bad well, ideas. I, we do. We we actually have a uh, Rob Benson, who's our service manager. Um, it just regales of the things that come across his desk, things that you would not believe, and um, some of them are completely ridiculous. Some of them are are. Uh, um, uh, Serious attempts to to accomplish something that that uh, no one would have ever thought of, 
and uh, some of the stuff is is very dangerous, and uh, people should pay attention to it. So Bob Benson is going to be doing that. Uh, we're also going to do the diesel engine kit and caboodle that we've done in the past. Uh, Meg Smith and Rob Benson and and uh, Rob Proctor will um, will uh, will talk about the various diesel engines and uh, what to do: simple troubleshooting, precautions, kits, the board, prevention, fix issues, smalling issues, fixing small issues underway. That's basically also show and tell. Uh, with the stuff that we've taken out of boats, hmm. I have problems here. Yeah, I, I have one. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a picture to send to you, but it's it's easily described a wall of shame uh, example of, of a boat. Um, well, it was a Hinkley pilot um, that came up from being uh, serviced down down south, we'll say, uh, and uh, was, somebody mounted a anchor chalk on the cabin top. And uh, on the Hinkley cabins, cabin tops, it's just a uh, fiberglass uh, top, and inside there's no liner, no uh, sheathing or anything on the on the cabin liner. It's just a just a fiberglass top. And somebody threw bolted this anchor chuck with a, a bolt that was much too long for where it was supposed to go, and then had a apparently only the nut that they had was a acorn nut, and so rather than cutting off the bolt. They drilled out the acorn nut and threaded it through, and through uh, screwed that nut all the way up to the cabin top. Well, that's that's you know, that's, boy, you know that guy's never been in the seaway. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what I'm thinking. You go in there and you have to go to the bathroom really bad, or you're feeling sick and gouge. Yeah, yeah. The um, the the. The one that we see quite often, which is really dangerous, is these Hubble fittings. And what fittings? Get lazy. They're really hard. Sometimes they're really hard to screw the Hubble fitting in. A Hubble fitting? And, what is you that? You know, the, the electrical fitting that goes into the boats. Oh, oh okay. The dock, oh, the yeah, the, the shore power. All right, yep. So you take the shore power in. It's got three prongs on it. It's supposed to push it in, turn it, and then screw down the block, um, threads on it. Um, around at the top, uh, the, the retaining ring. And if you don't do that, you get a bad contact in the in the prongs, and that contact heats up, and and it will melt the whole unit. Hmm. People really have to pay attention to uh, tightening that up. They put that ring on there for a purpose, yeah. and that's to seat that that uh, those. And that's in there, so that the, uh, the the fitting can't heat up. I've seen we've got a half a dozen of those we pulled out of boats. Very dangerous. You could burn, lose your boat. Basics: motion, electricity, surrounded by water. No, no, yeah. you know, no issues. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes you want you think that uh, some boats could come with a, a real operator's manual that. Uh, the other one that I love is the photograph that Dave Ford took at a boatyard in Portland. He was walking by a sailboat, and uh, he looked if there was a transducer. Well, it was a transducer from you know, the back of an outboard, um, and it went through a deck fitting through the hull and was just 
sitting there, and the, so the deck fitting uh, was all that was keeping the water out of the out of the boat. There is a reason, I suppose, marine things cost a little bit extra, isn't there? Well, it's you know, except for the the fact that it wasn't designed to be underwater, and except for the fact that it wasn't a through hole fitting, um, and it was just sitting there with the with the uh, cord dangling in the water, it would have been a good idea. Yeah. So anyhow, you have to you have to chuckle and. You know, the, I will say that the people in Maine are really probably some of the best boaters in the world. And, uh, you know, when we did the Opsail 2000, um, the captains of the, of the ships that came into Portland all said that Portland was the safest harbor, that people are the most polite. They understood the rules of the road of all the harbors they were in going up and down the U.S. East Coast. So, you know... You know, men's pretty serious about their boats, and with the weather, the fog, and the and the tides, you know, you have to be a fairly good boater to really want to be out there. So, uh, here's to here's to us. Talking to uh, Phineas Sprague this morning, uh, I'll send you off, Phineas, with a, a fellow I used to work for for uh, uh, Captain Mason Forty Four for him for years. Rode around the back seat of his Learjet. Um, his dad told him that Maine was the only place to keep your boat. So even though he had a house in Annapolis and Santa Fe, he kept his boat in some sound always. And he didn't always use it there, but that was where it, it you know, was the coolest place to be. And the other thing that he would never, ever miss any, any year I ever knew him was the main boat builder's show. And he always remarked on the funky old building as well. He was well, just absolutely in love with that the whole, uh, you know, the whole gestalt of it. Well... It's going to be hard to keep that building up without us patching the holes and using duct tape. It's the, you know, it's the last, you know, it's the, uh, we move, we're moving out of there after the shows, and hopefully we'll be able to do another show next year, but we'll see what happens. Well, get the good grade duct tape, so all I can say, I, I can't recommend the cheap stuff. Best of luck. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot. Guys. Thanks, Phineas. I appreciate morning, your um, time. And again, Maine Boat Builder Show is always the third weekend of March. And uh, uh, PortlandCompany.com if you want more intra- more information on that. And see Dave Carraro. Yeah. Richard Tuna will be there. Yeah. All so right. It'll be fun to see what he's got to say. Good morning, Finn. Thank Peace. you. Peace. We are doing boat talk this morning and uh, mildly confused at the present time. Alan will tell us what's happening. Uh um, I'm trying to get a hold of Chief Winnie Arsky of the Bridal. Uh, he's not at his office phone, um, and it seems like the number we had for him here uh, isn't working, so I have to put a message into him for, to call us, so hopefully he'll be getting that message. And well, hard time. we got Dennis Damon sitting right here from the Tom <laughs> yeah. Scott East Resource Center, and, and uh, about time we get to talking to Dennis about, uh, about that. Dennis, uh, uh, what is the Penobscot East Resource Center? Well, Penobscot East Resource Center in Stonington is uh, uh, an organization that was founded by five people, I guess, about 10 years, 10 or 11 years ago, um, based on the premise that um, fishing, commercial fishing in particular, has been a backbone of our 
down east fishers, our down east communities uh, for hundreds of years. Um, and we would like it to be that same backbone or at least a, a very important part of that backbone for the future. Fisheries in a relative short period of time, my lifetime included, um, has gone from a, a diverse fishery where my father and his father before him and his father before him had done such things as clamming and and uh, lobstering and hand lining and trawling and scalloping and doing all kinds of things. Well, we'd like to have that same diversity uh, back, and so that's what we've been working for. And our motto, fish forever, means a number of things. Not only should there be fish forever, but that we should be able to fish for them forever. Yeah, times are changing and the water's changing now. There's a lot of factors involved in this. Yeah. That's why it's a big project. Yeah. We have Chief Winiarski on the phone, so um, let's skip back to uh, to ice breaking. Good morning, Chief. Good morning, and uh, thanks for having me again on Boat Talk. Oh, glad glad you're back. Uh, Chief you... seemed to be a no-brainer, you being the ice guy. Yeah. <laughs> how do you like the weather? How, how do you like the ice season? Oh, this ice season has been uh, unbelievable. Uh, we definitely had record uh, low temps, and the uh, snowfall has uh, definitely been keeping us very busy, and along with the uh, the entire uh, District 1, which is all the uh, the northeast, we all the icebreakers have been extremely busy this year. How does snowfall affect icebreaking? Well, uh, when you have a lot of snow on top of the ice, it really slows down the uh, cutters. It almost acts uh, similar to a uh, uh, like a sandpaper and it restricts your movement while breaking ice. So sometimes you can be breaking uh, 12 inches of ice, and it'll be fine, but you throw uh, you know 12 inches of snow on top, and it just makes it extremely difficult. Hmm. Hmm. Absorbs a lot of energy. I got, a, I got a note here of the tone of your voice, Chief. Most people talking about the winter are, are doing it with some regret. You have excitement in your voice. <laughs> you like this stuff. Yeah, this is ice breaking is, a, is an amazing job, and it's uh, fun and you know, it's really keeping us uh, extremely busy. So I'm, I'm glad to be out there and uh, doing the job and breaking the ice. Heard on the news the other day they were talking about uh, the ice breaking cutter Thunder Bay, which is a bit larger than the the bridal tug that you run um, coming down this way currently in New York City. I hear is that that happening? Yes, the uh, it's a 140 seagoing ice breaking tugboat. Or, or really a tug, and uh, the Thunder Bay, which is in the Hudson River, uh, they're assisting the uh, commerce. A lot of the barge is going up and down the Hudson, and they'll be coming back uh, to this area hopefully in uh, another week or two and uh, to assist us with the uh, the river breakouts. Well, let's, let's uh, talk about the nuts and bolts there. You're talking about commerce and uh, delivering boats running uh, uh, through New York City impresses the hell out of me. I love the radio in New York City. Those boys are uh, very professional, and there's a lot of them doing a lot of work there, moving a lot of barges around and stuff. And, and uh, you know, the idea that the river is clogged up with ice, those barges can't move. What about all that stuff, you know? Um, a lot of stuff. Uh, trans the transportation uh, value of the water is still there nowadays. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's, and just to put it in perspective, uh, Heating oil is used throughout the country, and uh, 75% consumed is in the Northeast, and actually 90% of that is delivered through um, tug and barge. And, and um, as per, I got the statistics for uh, last year, 
Um, but the Coast Guard actually facilitated the movement of uh, 7.9 million barrels of petroleum and uh, an estimated 297,000 tons of dry bulk, which is over $2 billion uh, worth of uh, commerce going through. And that's, that's the entire uh, northeast from the uh, Hudson River all the way up to uh, the Canadian border. So the Coast Guard is very essential to keeping the uh, northeast United States uh, warm and comfortable. Yeah, actually, we uh, operate under the um, Renew, which is our uh, operations reliable energy for the Northeast, and it's the Coast Guard's regional-wide effort to ensure the Northeast communities have security, supply, energy, and uh, emergency resources that they need throughout the winter. Mm-hmm. You're also breaking out fish boats too, aren't you? Yep, and uh, some of the stuff we we have done, um, we obviously uh, facilitate trans. Um, transportation of petroleum products, heating oil. Uh, We've done uh, the escorting of uh, ferry vessels in the ice and then also uh, made sure that the uh, ferry terminals are clear of any ice and uh, broke ice for fishing vessels to get underway. And uh, and actually, uh, a neat little fact, actually, it's the first time in over 10 years that uh, Portland Harbor has uh, froze up and you're actually seeing a lot of the many uh, smaller bays and tributaries also uh, iced up with a lot this year. Hmm. You had a story, a question, Dennis, about a fish boat. Uh, well, I did. A little example was that in uh, Somme Sound at the head of the Somme Sound, there's a boat yard up there, and um, uh, a fellow's boat, a fellow who lives out on Islesford, he wanted to get his boat out of the yard, and I believe it was the vessel Sunbeam chief that went up and and broke a path and they were able to come back out through but my my question was uh there's been a lot made of uh, a woman who is a, a lobster scientist who's who lives on uh french friendship long island and she's froze in out there and been out there for i guess 35 36 days i saw some aerial footage of it and in addition to that island frozen in, it looks like the, the harbor, up in the harbor where all the fishing boats are, that's frozen in as well. Is that any plan that, that the Coast Guard would have? How, how would they get into a harbor like that? But have to be requested? Yes, to facilitate an ice-breaking request, essentially uh, what the person would have to do is they uh, call the Coast Guard uh, Sector Northern New England uh, Communications Center and uh, they would give all the information of what is uh, needed, what is requested, and then uh, the Coast Guard will actually take a look at that, determine its uh, feasibility, and then uh, from there, they, our, our operational commander, Sector Northern New England, will uh, request one of the uh, 65 uh, ice-breaking tugs to go out there and uh, break them out. Mm. And then, of course, you have uh, the rivers that you have to break out as well, including the Penobscot and the Kennebec, I think? Yes. Besides all the, uh, you know, the, the missions we've been doing throughout the state of Maine, uh, we, we do actually have uh, the breakout of the Penobscot River and the, uh, the, the Kennebec. And actually, uh, the Coast Guard just met last week with the River Flow Advisory uh, with MEMA and uh, other agencies and uh, assessed the ice jam potential and the flooding risk uh, through those those rivers. So uh, we do plan to uh, break out the, Pen- the Penobscot River and the uh, the Kennebec River, and uh, possibly uh, starting in the next couple weeks. And those missions uh, to uh, try to mitigate the risk of flooding, is that right? Exactly. Uh, w- once uh, these warmer temperatures come around, and if there's any rain, 
uh, that ice starts breaking up. And then when that ice breaks up, it actually creates jams on the choke points and the uh, turns. And with those ice jams, it, it creates almost similar to a dam. And then it will start flooding up the river. And uh, there has been flooding in the past. And that's the, the concern is uh, Augusta and the towns on the Kennebec and then also uh, the Penobscot River. Have you broken up any of these jams, you know, from the from the downhill side? That must be kind of a scary thing to do. It is. And uh, last year um, we uh, we went into the uh, Kennebec and uh, the, the 140, the Thunder Bay, and the 365s. We all went to the Kennebec and, and broke loose all of the ice and we were also worked with the uh, Coast Guard Auxiliary uh, Aux Air, and they were taking uh, pictures of overflight of how the ice was flowing, and and you have to go in there and just keep stuff flowing. So the good thing is with the multiple assets, the 140 will be the first one in. Uh, she really has the sheer tonnage, the weight, and the power to start breaking ice, and then the, the 365s will stage throughout the river, and sometimes within those choke points, keeping stuff uh, flushed and and flowing. Water's cool stuff. It, it, uh, given a channel, will run downhill. you got to give it somewhere to go, and it'll go. But that sounds like a pretty coordinated effort that is necessary to get these rivers so that they'll have that flow. Here we have, I think the chief has talked about, four vessels working that one river and doing it in uh, conjunction with one another so that everybody knows what else is going on. Yeah. Do you have air support, too? Yes, the uh, Coast Guard uh, Aux Air, uh, they'll be uh, taking uh, imagery uh, throughout the time. And it, it takes uh, several days, uh, four or five days, and the planning is very extensive um, of where, when we're going to go in and, and um, how we're going to do it, and we all work together. But it's, it's definitely uh, beneficial with, with uh, the four vessels and the air support. Hmm. Boy, I hate to say it, the first image that came to me with air support was uh, bombing runs, you know, and I, I believe I saw somebody blowing up ice late, uh, on the news a little while back, too. We ever we ever try to blow any up? No, oh, no, no, that's not the... Haven't got that far yet. No, yeah. we haven't got that far, so... <laughs> something, to, so, like I say, something to keep in the back pocket. Uh, talking to Chief Winiarski this morning, Coast Guard uh, Cutter Bridle down Station Southwest Harbor. We had him here back in December and uh, noted his enthusiasm about ice. Seemed to be a no-brainer to talk to him uh, uh, at this point. I talked to my buddy uh, Captain Sonny Perkins. Surprised me uh, uh, with yet a full of stories from a life at sea, and and uh, turns out he was one of the original crew members on the Manhattan, um, and. Uh, he talked about the noise of breaking ice. Yeah, the, the the vibration, the noise is, is unbelievable. It, it's uh, the whole ship is shaking. It's very loud, and and the communication even on the bridge um, between uh, the quartermaster of the watch, who's doing the fixes and, and navigating us safely, from the conning officer driving, you almost have to start yelling in and you know be be very loud and boisterous uh, mm-hmm. just so everyone could hear you and. Uh, the engineers, um, they're doing rounds of the ship, and they have to wear hearing protection to check all the uh, the voids and spaces, make sure we're not taking on any water, and they do half-hour rounds. And it, it is unbelievable, the noise and vibration uh, while breaking ice. He talked of high-pitched noises, too, uh, which I thought might have been air trying to get out of the ice. He, he says uh, one, one fella just had to leave the ship, couldn't take it. <laughs> it sometimes when we're hove to, in the evening, and, and basically what hove to is you're breaking ice throughout the uh, daylight. Night comes, and, and you're in the river, and you'll actually make a 90-degree turn, and it's 
similar to being anchored, uh, monitoring the ship 24 hours. Um, but in the evening, when, when the, the engine shut off and you're just stuck in the ice, you could actually hear the ice cracking as the tide goes up and down. It's a little eerie, but it's, uh, it, it's pretty cool. How much of a crew, Chief, do you have on the bridle? We have a, a six-person crew, hmm. and it takes uh, all six people to uh, break ice. Sure. Oh, very good, Chief. Uh, we uh, coming up on the end of the hour here. Appreciate your report. Uh, is there any uh, anything unusual or anything else you'd like to throw in at the end? Well, I thought an interesting story. Uh, while we were breaking ice in the Penobscot River, uh, we were breaking ever since uh, started at six in the morning, and right around eight o'clock at night, we ended up uh, losing our heat, our boiler system, and uh, you know we had a work to about two in the morning to to get that back on. It was a diesel uh, boiler and. You know, just uh, being stuck in the ice without heat, that, that boat gets really cold really quick. But uh, luckily to the, the hard work of the engineers, we get, we got it back on. So that was a interesting story and, and made it for a little uncomfortable time. But uh, luckily we were back up and operational pretty quick. Well, good thing you had some good men on board, good persons on board. Well, Chief Winiarski of the uh, Icebreaker Bridal, thank you very much for... Uh, talking with us on Boat Talk. I bet you we'll be talking with you again in the future. Well, thanks again for having me. All right. It's a good day. That was uh, Chief Winiarski, the, uh, the the driver of the Icebreaker Bridal, who's stationed in Southwest Harbor, but is going uh, up and down the coast now, doing all kinds of ice-breaking work. Um, Dan, we, uh, boy, we, it's been a funny boat talk, uh, <laughs> and again, we haven't finished our conversation with Dennis Damon, who's nice enough an, to come over hour. here this morning. <laughs> yep, and we are coming up on the end of her here. Uh, Dennis, we we're just talking about uh, the Penobscot East Resource Center, and it's uh, down in Stonington, Maine. Uh, another show recently on ERU was uh, talking about the Stonington Opera House, pointing out that Stonington is not on the road to anywhere nowadays, okay? But it's one of the biggest fishing ports in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. And, uh, again, uh, going up and down uh, the thoroughfare there is, is it used to be on the main road when the main road was the water. Right. And, uh, you know, the uh, vitality of Stonington is uh, always been water-based in a lot of ways. Uh, fisheries, uh, boat building we talked about earlier. So, again, Penobscot Bay uh, uh, East Resource Center there is uh, you're talking about infrastructure um, earlier. Well, we were talking about infrastructure, and we are talking about resource, and we're talking about communities. Yeah, and, and you are And you are absolutely right with regards to Stonington and uh, the sister island, Deer Isle. Um, I was surprised to learn that there are, uh, I don't know, upwards or over 300 um, full-time lobster fishermen on those two islands. It is... Um, the epicenter, I think, of the lobster catch along the coast. Um, <clears throat> I don't remember now the total uh, amount, the poundage of lobsters landed there uh, in the last couple of years, uh, the annual catch. It's in so the, the top ten fishing ports well, in the United well, States absolutely, of America. Yeah. Absolutely, and the ex-vessel value of that is in the tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, that's an awful important part to this sustenance of that community and the region. I might add. So it is that piece um, that that was, as I said a little earlier, the backbone of communities in this whole coast of Maine. We're focused, uh, Penobscot Resource Center is focused on from Penobscot River to the Canadian border, to the eastern, and that whole area then is our little area of concern 
it's not little by any sense, yeah. and it's a it's a concern. Here we have a vitality that is current with one species, and that's lobster. We used to have a a, 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 a diversity of fisheries. There is a bit of a diversity, although I'm not sure how sustainable it is, uh, in the elva population, and a little less diversity now in the urchin population, but that became a, a, a very important part a few years ago, and I think, unfortunately, became overfished. So <clears throat> we want to um, maintain that whole region and maintain the communities in that whole region, and that's the the credo of Penobscot East Resource Center. Now, what was the motto again? I thought it was good. Fish forever. Fish, Fish forever. forever. It's pretty yep. simple. Yep. Yeah, when short, you think sweet, of it. right. But, but it's pretty complex when you think of it, too. Yeah, talk about some of the closure areas. Yeah, that seems like a, a, the exact opposite, but how do they work together? You, you, what an interesting juxtaposition you have there. Um, the closed areas with regards to scallops now, which was one of those traditional... Uh, fisheries had pretty much collapsed um, during the time that I was in the legislature and chairing the Marine Resources Committee. Um, a omnibus bill came before the committee to, in an effort to bring back the scallops. How are we going to do this? Well, uh, when it arrived at the committee, in my estimation, it was a little uh, thin on how we were going to do this. But once it got to the committee, it became the committee's uh, purview. And and uh, through a lot of consultation and the discussions, we ended up changing it. And one of the things, one of the changes that we made was what about closing some areas of two scalloping, temporarily at least, to see if, if the scallops would come back in those areas naturally. And if they did and establish the beds that scallops do, could would the spat that they created would that be drifting out given the currents around that area and settle outside of that well as it turns out um it was very um contentious how are you, you you're taking away some of the fishermen short-sighted you're taking away our opportunity but it has turned out that it has been uh, perhaps the savior of the scallop industry yeah yeah, and again, fighting the fellas that you're trying to save it's, is kind of an interesting paradigm, isn't it? A, they would want to take the last scallop and, you know, buy something at the store with it. It's what they got to do. This is the real uh, paradigm that's difficult in fisheries management, and it's one of the things that we bump up against in at Penobscot East. We never want to stop people from fishing. We want to keep people fishing forever. But this is, uh, this is a conundrum. We, as I believe the president was uh, saying in a speech recently, is the big idea there. It's it's we, we it's community. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, let's get some Penobscot East information before we have to close the door. Um, how does anybody get more information on Penobscot? East? Well, I think the the website is uh, probably Penobscot East Resource Center. Um, dot org. Dot org. Yeah. And um, there are all of our programs that are listed on that. Uh, our efforts. Uh, and then, of course, at any time, get in touch with us, and we'd be happy to talk with you more. Thanks, Dennis Damon. Mike Joyce, Alan Sprague, they're piping us out. Boat talk, uh, you know. I guess we've done it.
Support for WERU comes from Gamble and Hunter Stanley.